Hello and welcome to episode 34 of the Runner's World podcast, the weekly podcast bringing you all the latest running news, views and interviews. I'm Rick Pearson, the Runner's World section editor, and I'm here with Jane McGuire, the deputy digital editor. Jane, tell us what we've got coming up this week. This week, we're looking ahead to the Athletics World Championships in Doha, which take place on Friday. Mm. Running coach and commentator Tom Craggs will be casting his expert eye over the likely British success stories and other likely highlights from this year event yeah sounds good well talking of british success stories jane we're hoping you're going to be able to deliver one this weekend not at the world championships in Doha. you, you didn't quite qualify for that but not you are right. doing the, the berlin marathon i am how is it how are you feeling in this final week i have never felt more nervous for a race <laughs> ever i've been having recurring nightmares i've been waking up every more every night you know i've missed a star or i've <laughs> gone the wrong way i've been disqualified yeah so a bit, you know, I'm excited, but definitely very Some nervous. nerves in there. A lot of nerves. Yeah. I've never been. I think I've never run a marathon and cared about the time. Right. I'm, I'm okay. always very like, oh, let's just see what happens. Yeah. So I don't know if it's the time. I don't know if it's the fact it's in kilometers. I don't know what it is. Right. So something's going on in my I think head. It, I think it's a sign that it, that it matters to you, right? Like yeah. you get nervous about something. Everyone keeps telling me it's a good thing. And exactly. if I wasn't nervous, I wouldn't care. But yeah. Use the nerves. Utilise the nerves. Use those nerves. Flying out on Friday. Okay. But it's a really early flight because BA were meant to be striking. Oh, right. But shout out to BA have cancelled the strike. (laughs) So. Just on on your behest. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All will be okay. Um, Hopefully, such words. And yeah, do the expo. Yeah. Wander around Berlin in my offos or whatever they're called. (laughs) Oh, the oof. Yes, the oofos. Sandal, yes. Slide in my way around Berlin <laughs> and then, yeah, run a marathon. And I'm out there till Tuesday or Wednesday, I think. Oh, cool. But well, what have you been up to? I have been, not quite as um, impressive this, but I took part in the Surrey Hills Challenge on the weekend. Oh, so it's cool. a sort of low-key, uh, family-friendly event. Offers, I think, 5K, 10K, half and an ultra. I did so the half. Ultra. No, no, I didn't. I just did the half. I think you've ever had this where you, you tell yourself beforehand, you're like, look, this isn't like, this isn't an important race to me. Like, it's, it was a really good event, but it's not like an A goal or anything. I'm mm. going to just turn up and I'm going to run a little bit harder than I would on a Sunday. But I certainly won't start racing it. And then you just get in it and you're like, this is me. Oh, I'm racing, aren't I? I'm bloody racing. Like two or three miles in, I was like, I was working really hard. I had that kind of thing of like, you know, when you're sort of suffering in a race, you start thinking of like, maybe I'm sick. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, my heart rate's elevated. Oh, I must it? be getting the yeah. flu. I'm very dehydrated. <laughs> it's sort of, I, it's fine for me to give up here, all this kind of stuff. Anyway, I was running with a nice bloke called Kevin Gad. Shout out to Kevin, uh, who was a bit better than me, but kind of um, dragged me along for some of it. And uh, we got it done. And I actually, it was a reminder what a good um, race distance half marathon is, I think. Because mm. you can go for it from the start. You can hang on, grimly yeah. hang on. And it's and it's over. And it, I don't feel too badly beaten up uh, That's good. a couple of days later. So it's all right. Yeah. Um, right. So, shall we welcome our guest? Our guest of the week. Yeah. Yeah. Guest of the week. Here in the studio. Guest of the week. Sometimes on the phone. Could be an athlete. Could be a physio or a complete unknown. Our guest this week is coach and athletics commentator Tom Craggs. Tom trains some of the UK's best athletes and is a self-confessed athletics obsessive. So who better to talk to about the World Championships taking place in Doha this Friday? Tom, welcome back to the Runners World podcast. Good to chat to you. Always good to chat to the Runners World podcast. How are you doing? Very well. (laughs) Thank you so much, mate, for for, um, 
I know it's short notice, so I'm, I'm very, very appreciative of you um, giving up uh, sort of 15 minutes of your time for this. It's, it's, it's great. Literally nothing I'd rather do. I thought oh. it, I hoped it would appeal to you. <laughs> I hoped it would appeal to you. Let's, let's talk about the World Championships then. From a running perspective, what, what do you see as being some of the likely highlights from this year's championships? I think um, what's really interesting this year is the amount of races that are, are kind of wide open and, and that are quite hard to predict. Um, so with a number of the kind of leading athletes in recent years not taking part, so without Mo racing um, and without a number of other sort of leading candidates in, in some of the other races, it means that across a number of the distances, like the, the women's 5,000, uh, men's 10,000, men's 5,000, they're actually kind of really open, really exciting races. So I think, you know, endurance fans have got a, a really kind of exciting little period of racing to watch. And who should we um, be looking out for from a British perspective? Well, uh, I mean, the obvious candidate is, is obviously Laura Muir. I mean, um, in in Laura's race, Gonzabe de Barber, who would be one of the sort of leading um, contenders, is not racing um, because she's... She's injured. Um, Silfan Hassan is down to race in the 5,000 and the 10,000, so we don't know whether she's going to race in the 1,500 metres. Um, so it, it's wide open for Laura. She has been um, suffering with a, a calf issue through the summer, um, so sort of time will tell how she will get on and how that's responded to, to, to no doubt, the kind of really expert treatment she's had on it. Um, but certainly we'll be looking to, to Laura Muir to be one of our leading candidates. Aside from Laura, I think I'll be um, looking at the two guys um, in the marathon, both Charlotte Perdue and Callum Hawkins. Callum was fourth in, in London. Um, somewhat different in the, the weather conditions and the, and the time that they're racing, which for the marathon is going to be midnight, will have a, a real impact. Um, but in very hot weather um, in the Commonwealth Games, until the very last minute, um, Callum went out and he, and he was winning. So, you know, these guys can compete um, even in these tri- tricky weather conditions. So really exciting, I think, from a British perspective. As a coach, Tom, what what advice would you, you give to, to athletes? And, and this can be elite or, or non-elite, looking to compete on, on the biggest stage, whether that's a sort of world championships or... Or perhaps it's it's the London Marathon. How how do you get the most out of people when it when it matters most? Yeah, look, I mean, you know, for athletes competing at the World Championships and Olympic Games, there'll be far far more qualified coaches than me, no doubt, to to, to kind of say what advice they would give them. But I think, you, you know, the thing that will stand out for um, people watching these games will be the amount of pressure that these athletes will be under. Um, we've got so much data, so much information, there's so much commentary. I mean, I'm doing it now, right? So, you know, we've got Strava, we've got people um, writing whatever they want to write on Twitter. And there's almost an expectation that um, athletes almost kind of load upon themselves. They have to kind of justify in advance what performance they're going to do. Um, and I think that can that can create an additional stress and additional pressure. And I think that's similar for all of us, you know, whether we're at a major games or whether we're going out trying to run the marathon we've been we've been training for for a number of months. Actually in that final few days and, and weeks before the race Ultimately, it's quite a simple sport running. You know, you put on your pair of running shoes and you put one foot in front of the other and you try to do it as quickly as possible. And actually, everything else around it 
is is self-imposed pressure if you like so i'd say you know actually maybe in those last few days it's time to as much as you know those guys out in doha have got a bit more pressure because they've got sponsors and expectations with the media the rest of us don't have to be on strava looking at what everybody else is doing comparing our running to other people's we don't have to be justifying what performance we're going to do in in advance and so my advice would be to actually kind of really limit down the, the amount of pressures that uh, we're all putting ourselves under and actually just remember that it is a really simple sport that actually if you go out and you pay sensibly according to what your training has said that you're ready to do um, and you focus on the basics of hydration of nutrition um, and of staying as, as positive as you possibly can in the light of the training you've done you're giving yourself the best opportunity to, to compete so yeah limit distractions keep it simple and how important do you think you've kind of touched on it but the right mindset is at a major championship and do you think there's an example of an athlete that you think has a really strong mindset mm. i mean look it's, it's absolutely critical and and from a coaching point of view as coaches we spend working with performance athletes we spend just as much time trying to support athletes to get in the right mindset to feel positive um, to um, be able to manage their own perceived exertion when they're racing as we do focusing on the, the kind of physical stuff so your kind of success in a racing situation is not just what we call like a biophysical thing it is affected by your psychology it's not just about you know what your muscles can produce um, so it, it's absolutely critical I mean I think obviously the thing with these guys is they're all there at the major championships they wouldn't have got to this stage in their careers did they, did they not have a strong mindset because to compete in a sport like endurance athletics there's not a lot of money in it you know most of these guys a good number of these guys will be they won't all be full-time athletes um, and certainly for big chunks of their career they won't have been full-time athletes so they're used to mixing lots of different pressures competing um, uh, in races on cold windy evenings in in various places around the UK and squeezing their training in when they can around kind of working days you can't get to a major championships like this unless you have a strong mindset clearly you know i think there was there were some examples laura is we kind of know that um she's been mixing being a world-class athlete with her studies as a vet yeah Callum mm. hawkins has been you know i think what's been really refreshing watching Callum run is that you know for many years british athletes putting mo to one side or at least british male athletes putting mo to one side you know these races come around and we're not used to seeing brits at the front of the race Callum put it out there you yeah. know and i think that takes a very strong mindset because it does raise the prospect of things going wrong mm. you know but if you're not prepared to risk at that point at the highest level if you're not prepared to put yourself at least in the mix to get a medal um, or to reach a final or whatever it is you probably shouldn't be there definitely um what are some of the challenges tom of, of running in in doha i mean i guess temperature is likely to play apart with a marathon like as you say starting at midnight are there also problems with athletes do you think kind of acclimatizing culturally to, to foreign surroundings mm. 
Yeah, yeah, to a point. Although, um, obviously, the, the British team will have all gone off to a holding camp. Yeah. Um, so there, there is a sort of a bridge into both the conditions, but also almost less less the kind of culture of being in Doha and more the culture of being in like a hermetically sealed kind yeah, of, right. you know, closed off environment where you're just around other athletes. And that can, you know, we're talking about mindset and we're talking about distractions. That can be really difficult. You know, from a cultural perspective, it's more that because they're not going to be necessarily exposed to, um, you know, they will all have their normal food that they would probably in the UK, they're going to be surrounded by their support team and kind of really mastering from that. I think the conditions are it's a really relevant factor. Um, clearly, the decision to hold the games in Doha has been really controversial for a number of reasons, yeah. um, which mm-hmm. we, you know, we can maybe cover. But, uh, you know, from a conditions point of view, it, yeah, it will be tough because it's not just the heat, there's humidity as well. Um, and, uh, you know, but looking ahead uh, to a year's time, a lot of these things these athletes are going to face in the Olympic Games as well. So, you know, they need to be able to do it. And if if anything, if, it, if what it does is provide our British athletes with a great kind of experience and staging post for what they're going to do next year in Tokyo, then, then that's great. But yeah, it's going to be hot. They're going to be racing at unusual times, or at least the guys doing the marathons are going to be racing at unusual times. Um, I think the temperatures, even at midnight, are still going to be 30-odd degrees. Wow. So, you know, that is tough. And yeah. you saw with Callum in the Commonwealth Games, the impact that that can have. So, you know, as coaches, we tend to think about demands, like what are the demands of the event that you're actually targeting? And it's not just in this case, 26 miles or 5,000 meters, whatever it is, there are additional demands that these athletes will have been preparing for. And, and, you know, you can bear in mind with with these people is they have a great support team behind them, most of them. Um, and they will be well aware of the conditions that they were going to face and spending time preparing for them. I mean, the IAAF over the last few weeks had sent out, or the last couple of weeks had sent out kind of last-minute invitations to a number of athletes who wouldn't have otherwise been selected. And a lot of those athletes have turned them down, interestingly, because of the unique conditions of Doha. They just didn't feel like they had the opportunity to get themselves acclimatized and prepared. So these athletes are real pros when it comes to that stuff. And sure, it is going to favor, you know, particularly in endurance events, it is going to, again, favor African and and Asian athletes. Of course it will. Um, But I wouldn't underestimate how well prepared the Brits will be for those conditions. Like you mentioned, there has been a lot of criticism Ondoa, the location in the kind of pay, in the press, really, um, and there's suggestions that the stadiums might be half full. Do you worry that, as an athlete, kind of seeing that, the running might suffer? I mean, again, I think look, it's great that these guys can. Um, get, sort of race in front of home crowds and big crowds and you know those athletes that say competed in the the world in london that's wonderful if you've got the opportunity to do that but like like i was saying i mean i think these um particularly our endurance athletes no it's actually wrong all of the athletes in the team to be fair have got there have literally got to the games by racing races where there's nobody watching where there's nobody you know they made nobody on the street and i think yeah obviously different with the marathon london marathon's not quite like that but most of it i mean there there were guys trying to qualify last minute to get in the team racing you know down in tunbridge trying to get three steeplechase qualifying times and you know and so they're used to it and i think they'll be okay with that i think there were there were wider there were certainly wider questions about doha and i wouldn't necessarily claim to be an expert but just from a pure athletics fans point of view yeah. 
think, you know, to me, in elite athletics, performance athletics, with the guys that I work with, is is putting on a pair of spikes and running through kind of over muddy cross-country courses. It's it's the rain kind of lashing down your face, trying to hack along a towpath, you know, trying to get the miles in. And there is, for me, a romance there. And maybe I'm very kind of European-centric or kind of Western world-centric about it. But it does feel a little bit like the decision to go with, to go to Doha was very much a, a commercial decision as opposed to... And I, I get the IWF saying it's about spreading the sport into new areas. But ultimately, there was a, um, an interesting article written by Sean Engel in The Guardian about the um, about the organisers filling stadiums, having to find ways to fill the stadiums, shutting down half the stadiums. It's like, well, actually, that's not really about spreading the sport because it's not it's not an area of the world that has a has a real kind of pedigree. There are lots of new areas in the world that haven't held a world championship that do have a pedigree in in athletics, you know, and do have that base. So it doesn't. Unfortunately, it does feel a little bit like it was a decision that wasn't really about the athletes and about athletics. It was about the commercial side of the sport. And it's probably left, I can't imagine it's just me, left me feeling just a little bit, not cold about the games, because they'll be fantastic. The athletes will be incredible. But just about some of the stuff surrounding it, you know, it doesn't feel quite right. But, you know, (laughs) maybe I'm just being romantic. No, I think that's an absolutely fair enough point, Tom. Final question then. If you could tune in, just for one race at Doha, just personally, you, you've only got you've only got one window of opportunity to see one race. What would it be and why? Um, I, I was thinking about this because I was kind of looking over the schedule. For me, it's probably the women's five thousand meters. I mean, the, the women's five is, is has got a really really fantastic field lined up um, with you know not just not just sort of good British um, competitors down to race where we've got um, sort of. McColgan and Laura Waitman's had a great year, a great year, Jess Judd as well. Yeah. But it's sort of Silvan Hassan, Helena Beery, Costa Halfen. We've got uh, Margaret um, Boy. So it's it is like going to be one of those races where you can't predict who's going to win at the start. Yeah. Um, and I think there could be some sort of, you know, depending on how it's raced, whether it's kind of hard from the gun, whether it's more tactical, it's going to be one of those races where you know you could. You could bet, a, a, or if you're a gambling person, you could bet a tenner on anybody, and you couldn't necessarily get any guarantees that you're going to come out with it. And I think, depending on the type of race, the Brits have a shot. Like they're not going to be amongst the favourites, but they've got a shot um, at, at, you know, an outside shot at a medal as well. So that kind of obviously keeps it um, interesting from a British point of view. So women's five thousand would be the one I'd. Great. Well, I'm looking forward to it, Tom. I know you are, and thanks very, very much for uh, for coming on the Runners World podcast to give us a quick overview. Absolutely. Uh, always my pleasure. No worries at all. Thanks very much, guys. Cheers, Tom. Thanks, Thanks Tom. a lot. Cheers. Cheers. Jane, let's talk about Berlin again. Because <laughs> I know I asked you before you, this that, to put together maybe five lessons, things that you know now that maybe you, you wish you knew at the start of the Berlin process. Okay. So over to you. Well, I think my first one has to be building a team this is the first marathon i've done this is marathon number three yeah london twice um first time i think i knew nothing about running and it was all very emotional and i cried all the time second time i trained with my watch right and this is the first time i've been really lucky i've trained with lewis from new levels coaching and he has written the plan for me and i've had that kind of 
person there to text and be like, I don't feel right. And I think it's really, you know, obviously not all of our readers are in the position where they can have a coach, but I guess it could be a friend at a running club running it too. That person where you can be like, hey, this doesn't feel right. And they can kind of have a bit of an expertise to be Mm. like, I think you should go and see a physio or I think you need to relax. Or, you know, that kind of, I think that team of people that you kind of trust um, has been really great. Number two goals i have never set a time goal before and i've never been so nervous before yeah. and i don't know if they're, they're i'm very linked. much a runner that runs for mental health and because i love running sure. and just you know i don't care about pbs and stuff so i don't know i've kind of got very overwhelmed by having a goal okay and then someone told me and they're probably going to listen and be like that was me and i hate you but (laughs) someone told me to do like a gold silver and bronze goal Mm. to not get hung up on one one time or one thing and i think that's so good and i think that's helped me kind of in my head think if i don't do that i've got this i'm not like tom was saying i'm not one of these athletes that's going to lose all my sponsorship i'm not going to get fired from runners world i hope (laughs) if i come back in and didn't complete it you know it's not it's not the end of the world and i think instagram and everything can get very overwhelming and getting focused on time i think has been not the most enjoyable Mm. process listen to your body i think i think this pro it hasn't been the best run up i've had quite a few injuries i've not done any speed work since about september okay um because that kind of explosive thing wouldn't have worked for the injuries i've done all my speed work on the bike or in the pool right um i think eight weeks ago i'd have been like let's just defer but because you know i'd put the airbnb and the flight so i was like oh well see what you've invested in i've invested in this marathon so i'm gonna go for it um which is probably not the best advice, but you know, I have done lots of cross training. I have had experts tell me that I'm not going to break my legs running, yeah. but I don't know. I think it's taught me that one training plan won't work for everyone and you mm. have to be in tune with what's going on. And if it doesn't feel right, yeah, don't just run through it or, you know, ignore it. But then equally, when I was saying this to Lewis earlier in the week, he was like, you want things to go wrong in training. You don't want them to go wrong on the day. Definitely. Yeah. So who knows? Maybe I'll, I don't know. Maybe it will be the best marathon ever. Um, well, I agreed. Yeah, I think you, you want to get, you know, if any, any disasters can happen in the weeks, in the yeah. build-up, not, you know, not the race well, itself. Well, this morning my shoe fell apart. <laughs> so I guess, like, the actual upper came away from the sole. Yeah. So better today than... Way better today. Sunday. Exactly, um, exactly. I found training harder in the summer. I don't know if I'm the only one. This I, is interesting. I love getting up early and doing my long runs with like a head torch in the winter. Yeah. And no one's awake and then the sun comes up and you're like, wow, I'm seeing the day happen. Yeah. Whereas in the summer and it's like hot and it's really sunny all the time and more people want you to go out in the evening and yeah. you've got to say, oh no, I've got to run 20 miles in the morning. I've just found training in the summer horrible. I would much rather do a spring marathon. I'd say the received wisdom is the other way around in that it's, it's you know, when you get a horribly hot day in April. Yeah. So we had that in London a couple True. of years ago. But That's I'm with smart. you because I think there's less there's less temptations in January and February, yeah. aren't there? No like, one's doing anything. Everyone's poor. So you might as well. Yeah, you might as well do a marathon. The miles in. got nothing else to do. I agree. I'm with you on that. Um, And I think number five is... It's all in the mind. The power of... I'm not... I think I'm a hypochondriac. I'm an overthinker. I think the power of just being positive has been drilled... Like, Mm. 
again and again and again you know I've downloaded the Headspace app and I'm trying to you know write down in my notebook you know this will be my best marathon and it sounds so lame but I think that is something I've learned that if you think just this week I feel better than I did last week because I've thought right I'm I'm not going to do it I'm not going to do what I want to do because I'm being so negative yeah the power of kind of being positive having a positive kind of you know mantra that mm. you kind of keep repeating I yeah. think has been something I haven't done before but I've also never felt this nervous before yeah so. but, but kind of positive self-talk I yeah. guess is what you call it yeah because yeah. I yeah. think I think you know I guess again like Tom said it's not the same I'm not an athlete but I'm writing about running all day mm. and I'm on Instagram talking to our lovely audience all day and yeah. it can be a bit kind of you know I said to you when we were walking over here, I'm not an athlete, I'm a journalist, but it can kind of get overwhelming. For sure. So yeah. I think that kind of having the positive, like, you know, it's fine, I can do this, you know, yeah. no one's going to go on my Strava and look up my time. And if they do, then, you know, that's for them to it do. It is what it is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So they're my five lessons. Thank you very much, Jane. You're welcome. Good five lessons there. Thanks very much. So off the back of last week's podcast, uh, in which we asked people why they run, we received a number of inspiring emails. And I'll read uh, one out now. Uh, this one's from Fraser Kidd. And he says, I got into running a few months before my 30th birthday last September, as I found I had time to do sporting activities and needed to get away from drinking six to eight cans a night, and not to mention the 10 smokes I was having a day. In the past 12 months, running has transformed my life. He says he's lost 15 kilograms and got his 10K time down from 52 minutes to 39 minutes. He's also run a, a 127 half, so pretty rapid, but yeah, most importantly, speedy. yeah, he says also he's met uh, the most amazing woman who has had equal success this year in the pool with master swimming. So, um, and he says, uh, yeah, I just, uh, I've just turned 31 last weekend and life couldn't be better. Who knew running, uh, who knew turning 30 could spur me on to run? It's the best decision I've ever made. So, I want to hear more about the love story. Yeah. Let's get him on. Come on, Fraser, come on in. <laughs> His fingers on a button, his ears to the ground. He's done a bit of googling and he's had a nose around. He's a detective wearing running shoes. Carry McCarthy and his weekly running news. We're joined now by Kerry McCarthy. Kerry, welcome back to the podcast. Good afternoon. Um, You've been scouring the news, no doubt. Tell us what's uh, been catching your eye of late. I have. There hasn't actually been an abundance of running news over right. the last week. Um, but there is one main thing that's happened, and then I'm going to give uh, a bit of a gear update on something that's caught my eye as well. Um, so the main thing that's happened in the news for fans of track and field is that Russian athletes have been suspended, uh, further suspended, I should say, right. um, from international competition, which means they will all miss the World Athletics Championships in Doha. Um <coughs> For listeners um, that haven't really followed this and think what the juice is going on, this has actually been going on for probably close to five years now. Mm. Um, it reached ahead in 2016 when a WADA commissioned report found that Russia basically operated a state-sponsored doping program for four years um, across, well, pretty much all Olympic sports. Mm. Sadly, for us Brits who uh, absolutely loved London 2012, it, it did mean that London 2012 turned out to be probably one of the dirtiest Olympic <laughs> Games ever, um, which is not something too many people want to dwell on. Um, there were, I believe, something in the region of 23 um, Russian athletes who were subsequently caught. And actually, when I was doing a bit of reading into this piece, I found that basically Russia have had 43 Olympic medals stripped 
over the course of all Olympics, wow. which um, is approaching about three times more than the second place. That's right. one table in which they are thoroughly leading, leading the world. Yeah, yeah. But basically, they were they were banned in, in 2016. Um, they were told they had to accept two criteria before they would be allowed back in. Number one, they had to accept the findings of the report, which said that they'd been cheating, which they haven't yet done. They're okay. still pleading innocence. And number two, they had to grant access to their, their Moscow anti-doping laboratory. And this is the bit that's relevant to now. Basically, they've kind of procrastinated and prevaricated until now. They missed a deadline in December. Um, they finally allowed access to, to, to WADA who then got there and discovered that some of the data they'd been given had been manipulated. Mm. And, you know, if I was an athlete from any other country, I'd be saying, look, that's great that they're missing next month. But given that the country, it was state-sponsored doping, the country hasn't admitted that, they haven't apologised, can we trust them to even take part in the Olympics next year? It's less than a year until the Tokyo Olympics. Mm. I would imagine it depends how they respond to this. They have three yeah. weeks to respond, basically, to prove that the data wasn't manipulated, which seems extremely unlikely. Mm. Um... But not only do they have to kind of do that, they have to, sort of morally, they have to go, do you know what, actually, sorry, we've been very naughty boys Put hands up. and girls. Put the hands up. You know, as an athlete, you're getting up, you know, Jane, you were talking in the podcast about getting up and getting your long runs done with a head torch in winter. All those athletes that are out there doing that, mm. for what? You know, Olympic medals mean money and livelihood. Yeah. It's not like Premier League football where you earn millions, so... You know, it's just it's kind of reactivated a story that was that never really went away, but it mm. kind of just sort of bubbled under a bit and yeah, now yeah. it's exploded again. So it's going to be very interesting to there see how be. Sab Coke handles it. Yeah, it will be interesting. Yeah. Um, the other thing, slightly less serious. Um, <laughs> good news for the environment. Yay! Um, yay! Um, this is a story. There's there's a bit more about it on our website at the moment um, about green running kit, the fashion brand Vaja. Um, yes have a new running shoe out they haven't actually made any running shoes before their their whole thing they're a french company who make their shoes sustainably uh, in a brazilian factory um really cool shoes they haven't gone into sportswear before this is their first ever running shoe and i have to say i'm pretty impressed you know over the years that i've been at runners world i've seen brands produce shoes that are kind of like they're almost like a concept shoe mm. or you know like a sort of version of a kit car or something it's like oh we've <laughs> we've experimented and this little tiny bit here is like eight percent environmentally friendly yeah Vaja have, have basically spent four years trying to produce the greenest shoe they can without making sure that it's you know it doesn't suffer um in terms of performance so here's a little rundown of the things that that it has in there um 53 of the shoe is is bio-based and recycled materials and they're going to try and work on that for for future iterations um, the outsole, 30% wild rubber, 31% rice husk, and 39% synthetic rubber. So the wild rubber is sourced apparently from a sustainable plantation in the Amazon. It involves no deforestation. Um, all three uh, of those things are, are kind of like almost waste materials as well. Right. The midsole foam is made from 45% bio-based bio -based materials. Um, which are banana oil, sugarcane, and rice husk. More more waste materials, which is great. It avoids the use of oil as well in that portion of the shoe. Um, the sock liner, 8% recycled EVA, 12% sustainable wild rubber, 12% recycled plastic bottles, 12% jute. The rest is just regular EVA. Um, even the inner lining has got 33% organic cotton and 67% recycled plastic bottles. And the upper, the mesh, 100% recycled plastic bottles. This is like three of my favourite things together. I've got Plas Plastic bottles. <laughs> plastic <laughs> bottles, crashing to see. No, the environment, 
running and and the brand. I wear them every day. Oh, right. So you actually had a bit of experience in these No, shoes. not the running shoes, just the shoes. Just, you know, yeah. the ones Meghan Markle wore, but I had them first. Oh, okay. Right. For our listeners who are worried that I one of them. <laughs> um, but yeah. Do you think that this... This is great, obviously. This is great. But do you think it lives and dies a little bit by how good a running shoe it is to running? Because I, I think runners, we, we do care about the environment, don't we? But we also want to be in a shoe that, you know, we have shoes are getting better and better, aren't they? And some shoes are so good that they offer you 4% improvement in your time. If this shoe isn't good to run in, do you think all the other environmental creds will fall by the wayside a little bit and runners won't won't care enough about that? That's a good question, mate. My, my view on this is that the shoe just has to be good enough. I don't think it has to be as good as, you know, a Nike Pegasus or an Adidas Ultra Boost or a Saucony Ride or whatever, because I think people will always give brands that are trying something different a bit of, a bit of latitude, particularly if mm. you're you're new into a sector. Yeah. You know, I think had, let's say Nike, for example, as, as, as the biggest beast in the jungle, had Nike produced a shoe like this, I think people would judge it very harshly and say, mm. for example, only 53%. Nike have got more money than God. Why isn't it 100% recyclable? Mm. Um but I think it's also it's also about that you know a tipping point, isn't it? If enough people do it, for sure. If it seems to be cool, it's about trends. You mentioned Meghan Markle. You know, if if they if they manage to get this shoe on famous people out running, the Meghan influence Markle that they have, yeah. people will start doing it. And I think if enough people start doing it, and they will accept that maybe they run four, five, six, ten percent slower, whatever. Mm. But the trade off mm. will be will be there. So I think yeah, it has to not cripple you, and it has to be fairly decent, but it doesn't have to be amazing. So yeah, look, covering covering environmental kit uh, and green initiatives in general is something you want to do a lot more within the magazine. If you've got a brand that you wear, whether it's footwear or accessories or kit, and it's environmentally friendly, and you think we should know about it, drop us a line at podcast at runnerswell.co.uk. So that brings us to the end of this week's Runners World podcast. I'd like to say a huge thanks to our guests, Tom Craggs and Kerry McCarthy, and to Number 8 Studios in Soho, where this was recorded. For more news, reviews and interviews, and much more, head to runnersworld.com UK, and please like and subscribe on iTunes, and thank you to Acast, our hosting partner. Um, thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week. <laughs>